It's all about Christ. It's in Christ Jesus. And Paul reminds the church there in Thessalonica, he reminds us this morning that there's no better place to be than in Jesus, in Jesus Christ, in God the Father. And if you're in Christ, you're in God. He's our way to fellowship with the Father. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. I believe there's something more the Lord would have for us today. We're going to look at five verses from 2 Thessalonians this morning. Today we'll be learning about the faith of the believers in Thessalonica that they were growing in their faith and love. Their love was abounding toward one another. It's a great way to describe a fellowship, a fellowship that has a growing faith and an abounding love toward one another. It tells us in many ways that this fellowship of believers in Thessalonica was a very healthy congregation. I believe that a healthy congregation will become a growing congregation, a growing church, And that health comes by faith in Jesus Christ. It comes when the abounding love of Christ is so in us that that love is abounding toward one another. And it is my prayer that we are such a fellowship and that we will continue to become such a fellowship. We have faith. We have love toward one another. But as I said earlier, I'm not a finished work and neither are you. You may think that you are, but you're not. And so as the Lord continues to grow us up in our faith. It's our desire. That's why we teach through the Word the way that we do, that we can learn and grow. And it's not about seven points to a better life. It's about God's Word and what His Word can do in our lives. And so we look to His Word this morning, and we'll read. I'll read. You guys can listen the first five verses. And it says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Father, we pray that you would just open your word to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we begin this second book to the church of the Thessalonians, the church there in 
Thessalonica, reminding us, first of all, that this church is not very old. Paul is writing this letter back to them while he was still on his second missionary journey. The church was founded during his second missionary journey. As we recall from Acts chapter 17 in the founding of the church, that he was with them for three Sabbaths, teaching the word of God, reasoning with them from scriptures. And sometime after that third Sabbath, it may have been that very same week, it could have been a month later, scripture doesn't tell us how long Paul was there, but there was a riot that took place. The Jews became envious of the Christians. Many of the Jews became believers, but they also included the Gentiles, those who were not of the Jewish nation. And the church was birthed there in Thessalonica. And the Jews who were envious of this work went down to, well, they went down to the marketplace. They gathered the lowlife there and formed a mob that went to the house of Jason where Paul and Silas and Timothy were staying. But at that time, God's grace had them not there. But Jason was home. They took Jason and they drug him down to the courts accusing not just Jason, but especially Paul and Silas and Timothy, saying, these who have turned the world upside down, they have come here too. And they preach what is contrary to the law, saying that there is another king, Jesus, another king other than Caesar. And so these guys brought Jason down and said, we got a major problem here. And and what they were basically saying, that if Rome finds out about this, we're going to be in big trouble. And we don't want to bring the wrath of Rome upon us and the wrath of Caesar upon us. So to the judges, they said, do something. And the judges said, oh, we give you a fine of 50 bucks, go home. They didn't do really anything. But what happened was the church came back and, and realized that Paul's life was in, in danger and said, Paul, you need to go. And Paul left and went to Athens or actually went to Berea and then ended up in Athens and ultimately to Corinth. While he was in Corinth, he was there for 18 months, a year and a half. And while he was there in Corinth, he penned the first and second epistle to the church of the Thessalonians. And so the church is not even two years old, and he's writing back to them. His introduction is identical to the introduction of the first letter that he wrote to them, saying Paul, Silvanus, or another way of saying Silas and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice with me that the church was in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. At the very beginning of his letter, he reminds this church, and he reminds us today that we're in, as a church, we are in God and in Jesus. The longest sentence that is found in the Bible is found in Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14. And as we look over these verses in our New King James, that's what I'm teaching from. If you're reading the same, I'm not sure how it is in the other versions of the Bible. We find that they have three sentences in that grouping of verses there. But in the Koine Greek, in the original language, there is no punctuation marks. And so there is no defined beginning and endings of sentences. What we do have, though, is what a sentence is, a number of words that constitute a complete sentence, that theme that's going through there. And we find in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, the main theme there is all about being in Christ Jesus. That word, that preposition, in, 
In the Greek, it's spelled E-N. For us, it's I-N. It's repeated over and over and over again. In verse 3, it says, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. In verse 4, we find that we have been chosen in Him, that is in Jesus, before the foundation of the world. Now, isn't that interesting? That as a believer, God knew that you were going to believe, but even before He created the heavens and the earth, He had you on His mind. That we have been chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. In verse 6, we find that through God's grace, we have been made accepted in the Beloved, the Beloved that being Jesus. Verse 7, in Him we have redemption through His blood and forgiveness of sin. Verse 10, in all things in Christ will be gathered together in one, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth, in Him. All things that are in heaven and in the earth, it's in Christ. Verse 11, in Christ we have attained an inheritance. In verse 12, we find that our trusting in Christ is to the praise of His glory. In verse 13, we find that, and 14, that in Christ as believers, we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance, our surety, our redemption that is coming. But it's all about Christ. It's in Christ Jesus. And Paul reminds the church there in Thessalonica, he reminds us this morning that there's no better place to be than in Jesus, in Jesus Christ, in God the Father. And if you're in Christ, you're in God. He's our way to fellowship with the Father. But he moves on to say to the church of the Thessalonians in verse 2, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. They are referred to as the Siamese twins of Scripture. They're always found together, and they're always found together in this order. It's never peace and grace. It's always grace and peace. Because you cannot have peace apart from the grace of God. You cannot know true peace, that peace that Kevin referred to that surpasses all understanding, that comes through the Savior, Jesus Christ, apart from the grace of God. Now, Paul penned 13 epistles for us if we don't include Hebrews. And in every letter, as he begins each letter, he identifies who's writing, like he did here with Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. Maybe it's just him. Maybe there's others with him. He recognizes who he's writing to like he did here to the church of the Thessalonians. But he always says somewhere in those opening verses, grace and peace, grace and peace. Only in his letters or epistles to Timothy and Titus, and Timothy and Titus were both ministers of the Gospels. They are known as pastoral epistles because they really go into what it means to be a pastor he adds to grace and peace, or actually puts between grace and peace, mercy. Grace, mercy, and peace, he says to Timothy, from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. And grace, mercy, and peace, he says to Titus, from God our Father and the Lord Christ our Savior. Perhaps Paul as a minister realized that pastors need an extra dose of mercy. I don't know, but it was there. But for the rest of us, grace and peace. An acronym for grace has been given, which says God's riches at Christ's expense. And we cannot know the peace of God apart from the grace of God. But we also notice that the grace and peace was sent from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The source of this grace and peace from 
we as a church are in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, the source of His grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Also, I believe that it's a, a clue to the inspiration that Paul was writing this letter, and he even closes it out by saying, I've signed it with my own hand. He's writing this letter, but by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's writing it. So this is Paul's word through the inspiring of the Holy Spirit. So ultimately, it's God's word, and it's coming from him. Grace and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 3, we find that verses 3, 4, and 5, that we have been counted worthy of the kingdom of God. And I want us to understand as we go through these three verses why we have been counted worthy. Paul's going to begin to talk about what was going on in the church there in Thessalonica. We're going to learn that they're growing in their faith and that their love is abounding toward one another. We're going to learn that God is doing such a work in this young church that Paul, Silas, and Timothy are boasting to the other churches about this church, saying, you guys, if you get a chance, go down and visit that church in Thessalonica and see what God is doing with them. It's wonderful. Not only do they have faith and love, but they also have patience and faith. But their patience and faith is found in persecutions and tribulations, that there was stuff going on in their lives. The church was not only birthed in a time of persecution, but that persecution continues because we find in verse 4 that it's persecutions and tribulations, that they were continuing on. They were having stuff going on. And some of us, we got stuff going on in our lives. And as the stuff is going on in our lives, are we found faithful? Do we have patience and faith? Will we be counted worthy and we'll find that being counted worthy is not because of only having faith or a growing faith or only having love that's abounding toward others or having that patience and faith in the midst of persecutions. We'll find that being counted worthy is all once again about Jesus. It goes back to being in Jesus, in Christ Jesus. And so in verse 3, we see once again, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting because your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. As he continues, he says to them, we thank God for you always. Paul is letting them know that we're praying for you guys. We're praying for you always. Back in the first epistle, we find phrases where Paul is saying day and night. Hey, we've been praying for you guys, not just once in a while, but day and night, they were continually praying for this church there in Thessalonica. God was doing some wonderful things here just through the letter. And we'll also find that there was some stuff going on that needed to be corrected too. But in his introduction, Paul is just beginning to praise them because of the things that they are going through. But he's letting them know we're praying for you guys. Quite too often, we have a mindset, and it's not on purpose, it's just our nature, that out of sight, out of mind. See, Paul and Silas and Timothy set out on a missionary journey, and the purpose was to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to cities and nations that have never heard it before. And as they went forth, people were getting saved. Churches were being birthed in various towns. But as he left each of these cities, he didn't stop praying for them. 
at one point, Paul talks about all the things that he had, he had been through during these missionary journeys, how he had been shipwrecked a day and a night in the deep or in the sea, how he had been beaten with rods and stoned and in peril of robbers and peril of the seas and peril of his own nation, how he was struggling. And as he adds up all these things that he had been through and all the suffering that he had been through and and all the things that had come upon him, and he said, above all this, the concern of all the churches of Christ. See, daily Paul had this great burden. He may have had physical things going on and happening to him, but I believe the greatest burden that he had was praying for the churches. And I truly believe that too often we have this out of sight, out of mind, and we stop praying too soon before true victory is established in people's lives. We could look at this church and read some of the things that Paul is saying here and saying, well, we don't need to be praying for them. There's others that we could be praying for. Maybe our prayers could be more effectively working in the lives of others, but the Thessalonians needed prayer. They were going through tribulations. They were going through persecutions. And I can tell you that we need the prayers of each other if we're going to stand and make it. We need to be praying for each other, lifting up each other. And for the same reason that Paul gave to them, As we see here in verse 3, he gives three reasons for it. The first is, he says, as it is fitting. That simply means it's the right thing to do. As it is fitting, it's the right thing to do to be praying for you guys. And for us, it's the right thing to do. This word is found a few other times in the New Testament. The one that first came to mind to me, and without even looking into the Greek and then realizing it was the same Greek word later, is in the story of the prodigal son. And we know the story of the prodigal son, how he had asked his father for his inheritance early and said, came to his dad and said, I know you're not dead yet, but give me my money because I'm tired of living with you. So dad said, okay, here it is. As we know in the story, he went out and he wasted his inheritance on prodigal living. And what he found is as he was wasting his inheritance and after it was all gone, all of his friends that he thought were his friends, they all deserted him. His friends were his friends while he had money and cash to spend on them. While he was there at the bar buying the drinks, they were buddy buddies. But when the cash flow ran out, they ran out also. And ultimately, the prodigal son found himself working as a Jew in a pig pen. Now, Jews, pigs aren't kosher. So he's in a place that he probably would have never dreamed being in. Not only is he working, feeding, and slopping the pigs... He's so hungry that he's thinking that the pig food looks pretty good. Now, that's pretty bad. When you're in a pig pen slopping pigs and thinking, I wonder how that corn husk actually tastes. And then he thought about home. And he was thinking about home, and he said, you know, my dad has servants, and they never go hungry. They're eating bread. I need to go home. And he made up in his mind this great speech that he was going to make as he came to his father, and he did make that speech. But once the prodigal came to his senses, as scripture says, returned to his father's house, we find that dad ran to meet him. And so in the picture of this, it's a picture of God the father waiting for the wayward son to return. And we find that dad ran to meet him. To me, it means that dad every day was probably praying for his son, and he probably was standing there outside his house, just looking out over the horizon on the road to his estate, 
wondering, is this the day that my son's going to return? Suddenly he saw this little head pop up over the hill. I'm assuming it was a hill. He could have been on top of the hill. I don't know. But at some point his son came into view, not only into view, but he recognized this is my boy. As we learn, they had to put a robe on him, had to put shoes on his feet. He'd been slopping the pigs. He probably didn't have the best apparel on, even though he may have washed in a river before he got home. But the prodigal son, when he showed up there, I'm envisioning a pretty tattered-looking boy. He's probably not the weight he was when he's left. He's, we know he's not dressed like he was when he's left. But he was starving. He was thinking about eating the slop of the pigs. He's probably wasted away. And that kind of living, if it continues long enough in people's lives, you can just see it in people. You can see it when they hit their 30s, sometimes in their 40s and their 50s, and you can just tell, man, you've lived a rough life. It's caught up to you. And no doubt it had caught up to him. But what did the father do? He ran to meet him. He fell on his neck. He kissed him. And then his dad called the servants out and says, bring out the best robe. Put it on him. He put a ring on his finger, which meant a ring of authority. He put sandals on his feet. He killed the fatted calf. He said, let's have a party. Let's eat and be merry for my son who was dead is alive again. He was lost and found. Now that's the story of the prodigal son, which we most often are familiar with. And the second part, he had another prodigal, but this prodigal was still in the house. It was his older son. It was the older brother who afterwards the father heard that his older brother was angry and wouldn't come into the party. So dad went out and said, why don't you come in and rejoicing with us? And the older brother thought, man, this is ridiculous. And he let his dad know it. He said, you're wasting all this food and merrymaking over this rebellious brother, this rebellious son. He complained about even, you know, you haven't even, I've been with you all these years and I didn't even get a little young goat to have a party with my friends. And sure, brother comes home and you throw a big bash, get the fatted cat. His words, according to the word of God, but as soon as the son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted cat for him. And the father responded back to the son saying, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. It was right. It's the right thing to do. So often, and this past year, the story of the prodigal son, just something new was shown to me by the Lord, is that the father gave his son full acceptance without judging him. So often we can be burned enough to where we're gun shy. And remember, the father in the story of the prodigal son is a picture of God the Father. And God the Father isn't gun-shy with us. He accepts us. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and the blood of Jesus Christ covers us from all sins, God the Father accepts us because he has already accepted his son and we have been accepted through him. It was fitting. It was the right thing for them to make merry because the prodigal had returned home and it was the right thing for them to be praying for them. Have you returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls? Are you a believer in Jesus Christ? As a believer, maybe you've wandered away from the Lord. And you're saying, you know what, I just want to set the slate clean. Lord, I want to be washed once again. Again, there's no better way than to 
Give your heart back over to the Lord to realize that we're in God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ and that the grace and peace comes from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, that we would be believers who are growing in our faith and abounding in love toward each other because we are people who have come to understand that love covers a multitude of sin and the love of Jesus Christ is there and available for each of us to be that covering for us. May it be so for each of us. Father, we ask that you would be with us, that you would be with this time. Just want to commit our hearts to you. As Kevin has already said earlier, Lord, he believes that you want to do a work in our hearts today. Perhaps, Lord, you've already done it. And perhaps, Lord, our brothers and sisters want to share with each other that work. And so as Dave comes to close us out in the song, Lord, as we stand before you in prayer, we want to give opportunity for those who perhaps, Lord, are desiring to make a choice to either follow you for the very first time, to give their heart to you as a believer in saving faith, or Lord, to rededicate their life to you, or to just stand there and to say, Lord, I want all that you would have for me. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today. Hey.